a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Christian Wilkins. <laughs> I just feel like that's such a formal way to start. I told you, four minutes of normal, one minute of formal. This is the one minute of formal. Do we want to start with the mama's little baby? Because it gets us in a good way. Okay. A five. I want to do six. mine really well. I need to articulate. I like it best when I articulate. Mama's little baby loves rhubarb, rhubarb. Mama's little baby loves a rhubarb pie. Mama's little baby loves rhubarb, Mama's little baby loves rhubarb, Mama's little baby loves rhubarb pie. What's that from? I don't know. It was an ad for rhubarb pie. Yum. They used to do it on the radio. Yum. Yeah. Rhubarb's so good. It's definitely an underappreciated vegetable. Like, why does everyone like eggplant? Because it looks like a penis. But not everyone's penis looks like an eggplant. Well, Some people's penises rhub- look like rhubarb. Rhubarb's like a... Like a uh. oh, what? You're all of a sudden selective about penises now? Um, okay. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. And we're doing a podcast because what we're wearing is too good for you to look at. You look very smart. Thank you. Which is really hard for you. I'm trying, it is, it it is. is. That's actually like a huge compliment and probably the first and only time that I'm ever going to look smart in my life. (laughs) The words you and smart in the same sentence. Carry on, what are you wearing? We want to look good for Tanya. We want to look professional for Tanya. So. Yeah, I didn't want to be in here in latex pants with my boobs hanging out. No. Talking to my politician mum. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm in like wide leg AMI pants, a long Kenzo shirt, and then this cute little Armani wool vest. Yeah, you look like a chimney sweep from Mary Poppins. Yeah. Yeah. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim cherry. That's not annoying. Um, you look like one of like the all the homeless children from Oliver Twist. Mm. Mm, just less sooty. Yeah. I have also taken a more restrained direction today, which is nice. Sometimes it's nice to not look homeless. I have a lovely patchwork Adolce Gabbana jacket on, even though they're actually quite politically incorrect. But yeah, why do they make such good stuff? I want to hate you. Yeah, wanna I want to hate you more. Yeah, I want to hate Stefano Cabana, but also, I also like stop putting any person with like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram on your runway. They're two <laughs> foot tall. They don't look good. I liked it when he called Lady Gaga fat. I mean, she was flying through the air singing a song at a football game. Cut us some slack. Yeah. Like, I look fat just sitting here. Like, yeah. you hoist me up on strings and we'll see what you have to say. Just a nice clean shirt and a lovely pair of Comme de Garçon black slacks. I feel like I could conquer the world if I had a shoulder pad in. Mm. Yeah, world domination needs shoulder pads. Kim Jong-un taught us all that. Does he wear shoulder pads or has he just got fat shoulders? <laughs> Can you fact check that? I'm going to say a little from column A and a little from column B. I'm going to get Debbie in fact check to just, to just look that one over for me. Yeah, fair. Hi, Christian. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. This is, my, this is my sensible podcast voice. Oh, wow. This is the voice I'm choosing to use. <laughs> it's as smooth as a cup of Nescafe. Christian, how important is it to you as a young person to be involved in politics? Um, more so now. I was never really interested in politics. In fact, this is kind of naughty to admit, but I turned, the year that I turned 18 was a federal election and I just didn't enrol. Um, so I didn't vote that year, even though I should have, because I just, uh, to be completely under... When What year were you, what year did you turn 18? 2013. So that would have been like right in the midst of Abbott fever, too, yeah. in 2013. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Oh, it's your um, fault. <laughs> it's your fault. I'm holding you personally responsible. But see, I just didn't understand it. I, I didn't really understand Australian politics. I felt like at school they didn't really educate us about it, and... I sort of felt as though I'd missed the boat. Would you say that you missed the boat that our politicians don't allow uh, onto our shores? 
<laughs> yeah, just sent straight to Manus. Just sent to Manus and then apparently to America. But That'll I- fix all the problems. Yeah. Just stick them on an island. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge, I'm, I'm very, 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 very involved in Australian politics. And I have been since I was a child. I used to have a poster of Paul Keating on my wall because I was so obsessed with him. Like I, oh, my parents used to call him like my man. They'd be like, oh, your man's on TV. And even to this day, I still get on YouTube and watch him during question time just eviscerate people. That's how I used to feel about Julian McMahon. <laughs> he was in Charmed and I love Charmed. And my, I thought that he was like the Brad Pitt. And my parents were like, he's, he's not. Like, he's not that famous. So I was like, Julian. And I mean, both of them really helped shape the world for young people. Paul Keating through his setting up of our economy and... Julian McMahon for Charmed. Yeah. yeah. Well, bringing out little gay boys. He was probably my first crush. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I think what what really resonated with me on a subconscious level was Paul Keating's immaculately tailored, double-breasted Ermenigleo Xenia suits. Every time he stepped into to question time, every time there was a photo of him, even now when he, like, throws a side-eye bitchy comment out at kind of Australian politics today... He is one of the most statesmanly dressed, immaculate, like, I trust you. (laughs) Like, that's what he says to me with what he wears. And I think it is like a dying art for men in politics now to to have that air about them. Like, I am a huge fan of Bill Shorten, the Labor Party member, as controversial as that may be. But like, why is he wearing his dad's suit? Like, why? Why have you taken a bed sheet and a pillowcase and cut it into a blazer? Turn the topic around. <laughs> How important do you think image is for a politician? I think very important. I think that sort of fashion and politics have always gone hand in hand. Doing a bit of research and looking back for this conversation, and even though it is in the States, I think that um, looking back at one of the sort of most fashionable icons of politics Jackie O. Yeah, of course, Um, of course. I think that she really kind of utilised modern American fashion to sort of install this theory that her husband's administration was also the same thing. It made, it implied that JFK's administration was young and modern and forward thinking through her own fashion. JFK himself was a very well-dressed and attractive man, which I think kind of inspired you to love him, particularly when he was dealing with such like heavy issues like race and and kind of equality across men. But I also think it was very smart of Jackie O and she's like Jacqueline Anassas was the first one to really champion wearing American designers because she was American. So there was, became this conversation about stimulating your own economy. So, you know, from like Holston and all those brands yeah. that she was always in, it was very smart. I well, think her, it was a lot more considered than people people think. Her stylist, um, Oleg Cassini, was sort of basically his whole thing was that he wanted to make her an American princess. And he did. I, I think, you know, tick. She was also related to Little Edie and Big Edie Bouvier, who are my ultimate fashion icons. <laughs> and one of my favourite lines to scream at you is, it could have been me, Jacqueline. So <laughs> print that on a T-shirt. We'll sell that on our website. Um oh. I feel like that might be trademark. Mm, hasn't stopped me from stealing things before. In Australia, though, do you think the expectations on how a woman dresses? Yes. In, yeah, of course. Do you know where I see it? They all have the same haircut. Like <laughs> Penny Wong, Tanya Pippersack, <laughs> even Queen Julia. It's like they go to the hairdresser and they're like, thanks, I need, I need the politician cut, please. Like... It's like a semi-long bob because you kind of have to look like a mum, but it has to also be like a bit hard-ass because you're in politics. Like, 
it's nothing. There's nothing fresh. Do you or think fun there's or also silly. something in there that it's sort of an ingrained sexism where we don't want these women to be deemed too pretty, too feminine? I think we all need them to be pear shaped mums that will like hug us and breastfeed us. I think that. I think. I think it's this really. And do you know what? I think the only person who really stands up to that is is Penny Wong, um, who is. I'm sure a very maternal, loving woman, but she looks to me like a statesman, like, yeah. and she doesn't kind of conform to that. But I mean, that's where I see the pressure is in the hair. I don't like. Is it done by a machine? Like, do, like do just sit down. And, it's like, hey, Julie Bishop, nice haircut. Where'd you put the bowl? Like, what's going on? Don't be mean to Julie Bishop. Julie Bishop's a nice lady. They're all nice ladies. I think they're all wonderful ladies. I think Julie Bishop's actually incredibly well-dressed. She's incredibly well-dressed. I will always respect... Their stance on politics aside, she is a well-dressed woman. I'll always respect someone that loves sequins and feathers because that's... I am a woman that loves sequins and feathers. Absolutely. I can trust you to run my international relations because you enjoy sparkly things. You know, you look back at Malcolm and sort of... believe it was just when he came in as Prime Minister and he appeared on the cover of GQ. It was actually a shoot that they'd done a year and a bit before that, but um, he appeared on that cover and it was impeccably well-dressed. And I think that that really sort of put forward that stance that he is the Prime Minister, that it, it was someone to respect. And I feel like as well in Australian politics, even though it is something that I quite love about Australian politics, there isn't a lot of respect that we have towards them. We we do like to take the piss quite a bit, which yeah, I think is Australian culture. But that cover, I, I feel like, established a sort of ground to respect them at least momentarily. You also see that across with like what Richard Di Natalia has done at the Greens. Like, I, what, I like... What did you say? Richard Di Natalia. Oh, I thought you said what Richard did to Natalia. <laughs> and I was like, what did that do to <laughs> Natalia? Richard, Richard Di Natalia, the leader of the Greens party. Christian let his ass hang out there. Um, We're going to edit that out. Again, sorry to go back to America, but looking at first ladies, I think mm. that they've they've always been very important. I think Michelle Obama, she she made fashion seem very accessible to people. Um, oh, yeah, that, she, that inauguration gown and Jason Wu inauguration gown was and she, huge. And she made sort of this um, idea of class. You could still look elegant and not wear heels. That Glamour magazine actually did a report from a an NYU professor, and apparently um, it's worth thirty eight million dollars in publicity to a clothing company to have Michelle Obama wear one of their things but I found it really really interesting what Tom Ford um, came out with because he was talking about uh, Melania and Donald were inaugurated when Donald Trump was inaugurated and all these designers were coming out talking about whether or not they'd dress him um, Tom Ford came out and said whoever is the president or the first lady should be wearing clothes at a price point that is accessible to most Americans and wearing clothes made in America my clothes are made in Italy and they're very very expensive I don't think most women or men in our country can relate to that and I think the first lady or the president should represent all people which I think is incredibly true yeah I mean I just think a lot of people didn't want to dress it because he's a fucking racist but I mean sure you can put whatever bow on it you want. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I agree. But that's why I loved my fashion icon. Oh, this segue is going to be so smooth. It's going to be as smooth as a cup of Nescafe. My favourite politician fashion icon is actually my ultimate queen, Miss Julia Gillard. And she would always wear those great, like, classic Australian designers like Carla Zampatti, Perry Cutton. Like, she always looked Bianca great. Bianca Spender. Bianca Spender, who's actually Carla Zampatti's daughter. It's like a whole family unit. And I always thought she looked impeccable. Like, I thought she But she got a lot, a lot of hate. You fucking assholes out there bullied that woman for what she wore and she looked wonderful. Even when the poor thing fell over in the lawn. Like, she looked great. She looked smart. She looked like 
how I want a politician to look. Can you just tell them what a, what, what a male politician should look like, what power looks like? Tell them. I think for a male politician, you know, in Australia, we have fantastic fabrics. We have amazing wool. We mm-hmm. uh, can make amazing suits with that. I want something that's actually tailored. You can't just buy something off the rack. Even if you are sample size, you should still tailor it. I wouldn't mind like a l- wide lapel because I quite like a wide lapel. But, you know, if that doesn't work for you, then that's fine. Wide lapels in this economy? Also, like, no more brown shoes. Accessories. I like a nice watch. I think a nice watch on a man's quite sexy. I like cufflinks, but nothing too shiny. My dad has this weird thing where he just, he's like a bird. I mean, so much. He is a bird. Like, he's actually a bird. But, like, he's got literally, like, four or five cufflinks that are, like, huge, big diamantes. He has sequin pillows on his bed. Like, it's kind of like, fuck the cufflinks. That's not the issue. I am not the gayest man in our household. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I, I think, you know, blues, blacks for suits. I'd love to see someone in that Dior suit by Kim Jones, that pink one. But I mean, that's not Australian. Uh, that's quite expensive. And I don't think there's anyone attractive enough to pull it off. But yeah, I think, you know, stick to basic colors. You can try and experiment a little bit. Uh, yellow ties always make me feel a little funny because they used to represent like gay men. Like gay men would wear yellow ties to find each other. But if you're a fag, wear it, whatever. Even if you're not. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's. I think you've given them some direction and no direction at all, which is nice. Just um, tailor your suits. A nice suit will go a long way. You know, MJ Bale, it's an Australian company. They use nice fabrics. It's good yeah. wool. Just go there. Get a suit. Get a suit. Tailor it. I need you to. I need you to be involved in your appearance because I need to be involved. I need to stand behind you and and yell the battle cry. I want to see prints. You need to wear some prints. I want to see some like nods to how beautiful Australia is. We live in this wonderful, summery, sunny, you know, pretty country. I want to see you know not always a hard ass. Like you know, you can wear a nice sundress, can't you? You can like you can have some fun. I think Australian women are so strong and exciting. Like I would like some femininity. Okay, so if our podcast was going to wear an outfit, what would it wear? Uh, well, I'm going to start with a pair of slingback kitten heels. Oh, yes. Like the ones that my mom used to have from Target that had like cherries on the top. Yeah, but then I want some like high-waisted tights as well. Pedal pushes. Yeah. With jingle bells like sewn onto but the like very bottom print. just to what annoy print? you. What print? Mm. Like faux Versace. But well, no, like it, when you know it's really bad faux Versace. When you said what print, the first thing that popped into my head for some reason was trumpets. So I I think trumpets. Okay, done. I'm not, an, I'm not seeing enough trumpet print. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Bring that back. And it has such a good foreskin connotation. Mm. Boob tube. She, it's in a boob tube. A sparkly our, boob tube. Our podcast is in a boob tube. You should be in a boob tube right now. Big hair. <laughs> pull your arms Pull your arms through the head hole of that top. Big hair, lots of blue eyeshadow, pink lipstick. Yeah. She's ready for fun. She's also us. <laughs> yeah, she's a good time girl. Not a long time girl. Okay, you ready? Yep. Poodles. If you don't have legs, you can't wear high heels. And if you don't have a brain, here's a history segment. Watch closely. Welcome to the Radical Fashionism School of Fashion for the Gifted. And the not-so-gifted. I love it. I want to learn something, Christian. I don't really want to learn about, like, fashion and politics, but can you teach me about the history of the power suit? You know what? I can, because that is specifically the thing that I did research on. (laughs) You could ask for literally anything else. I didn't, do, I didn't do any research. I sat here on Instagram and tried to trap thirsty gays in my thirst trap. And just succeeded. Yeah, well, I mean, the pantsuit, it's actually like been a really sort of interesting 
topic because 50 years ago, if a woman had worn a pantsuit, it would have been a huge deal. Even in the, in the early 1900s, women could still get arrested for wearing pants. But um, the first sort of real kind of thing happened in 1923 with Coco Chanel icon. She um, created this sort of first kind of women's suit. It was actually mm-hmm. a skirt that was to the knee, but with a matching jacket. And that's yeah. sort of what started this whole trend. Um, and then in 1932, Marcel Rochas. Would you say that? R-O-C-H-A-S? Yeah, he's Rochas. Rochas. Yeah. Marcel Rochas. Um, he was the one that really sort of created the first pant suit. It's funny that both of those houses are French houses because yeah. I don't consider French fashion to be particularly masculine at all. I, I often consider French fashion to be a quite beautiful. Like I, I, I think of like Galliano, obviously he's British, but what he does in Margiela, like I think of things... Um, to be not necessarily... Well, that's interesting because uh, because France and, and French designers really have sort of led this whole... Yeah, they've championed. Um, this whole thing. But um, the sort of original one, it was grey and had really giant, huge shoulder pads, which I love because like sort of thrown it to the 80s and the 30s, which is pretty fantastic. Marlena Dietrich, obviously in the 30s and yeah. in her um, film Morocco, where she wore the tuxedo, <sighs> which she wore the... which she won the Academy Award for. That, that was sort of you know, a, a massive pinnacle and important moment for women in the pants. And she really sort of incorporated that. And she is a powerful woman. Like, Absolutely. And, and I a think French she, woman. Yeah. And drew a lot of power from her. Was she French? I thought she was German all these years. She was German, wasn't she? Oh yeah, she's German. Yeah, the German born actress. Da, Dietrich. That's like the most German name <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. Can we edit that out? 1942, Catherine Hepburn and her film Woman of the Year, where she wore a pantsuit. And then she, she again sort of incorporated it into her everyday life. It was sort of this massive moment of liberation for women, I suppose, for these, for these actresses once they sort of wore it in their film and then they started incorporating it. The next sort of real sort of big moment for women in the pantsuit was in 1966. So you can probably guess what I'm going to say, but Le Smoking Suit by Yves Saint Laurent. Um, it, it, that was really one I didn't of, know you speak French. Yeah, I flew in. <laughs> Let it off my French homegirl, Marlena. Um, I think that what he managed to do was really incorporate sex into this pantsuit. It was sort of that realisation that a woman could wear this sort of masculine looking outfit and still keep their sexual femininity yeah um which is really interesting and it's a funny story in 1969 um a new york socialite nan kempner you probably know this story but uh, she was turned away from a club mm-hmm. in new york for wearing the smoking suit and basically went around the corner took off the pants re-entered just in the jacket and they let her in and the owner was like pants aren't the a club isn't a place for pants <laughs> Which well, I actually agree with because pants are uncomfortable. Well, no, see, I, I think I don't like people who go out in shorts. So I, I think. No, no, no. I, I mean, like, let's just go out in jackets, jackets and undies. Rule number five of my fashion rules is you have to wear a coat as a dress at least once. Yeah, done. 1972, then the US government finally, I can't believe it took them that long. I'm sure we were probably quite similar, but um, finally allowed women girls to wear pants in school because obviously a lot of US schools don't have a uniform. So girls were still required to wear skirts or dresses up until that point. That's crazy. Yeah. And then between the years of 1980 and 1987, the sale of pantsuits for women rose by 6 million units each year. Well, that's the 80s was the era of the power suit. I mean, you had like Annie Lennox, you had all those like incredibly tough women 
kind of taking on that yeah. very corporate world. I guess it was when we really started to see the the rise of the power woman. In the late 90s, Vogue declared them dead, but I think it's fair to say they're still Absolutely alive. Absolutely not. You've got queen of the power suit, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. And I think the power suit for her has been a really sort of interesting thing because she, it was first incorporated as this way for her to remove fashion from the discussion so mm-hmm. that people would take more notice of what she was saying. And then um, it sort of worked a bit, but didn't work completely. It's, it almost became this parody of itself. But then she really kind of utilized that. If you follow her on Instagram, she posts a lot of really funny things about her pantsuits yeah. and has really sort of allowed it to become this in that people can engage with her, which yeah. I think is really, really funny. But I still say that if she had more capes, cape suits. she would have taken it out. Cape suits. Yeah. I want someone in 50 years Oprah, to be like when Oprah takes on Trump. You know, in the in the tens, if people had worn cape suits, they would have been arrested. Yeah. But now cape suits are the way to go. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. It's so wonderful to be here with the deputy leader of the Labour Party, Tanya. How are you? Thank you for making time for us. It's lovely to be here and very nice of you to ask me. So, Tanya, you're a a veteran, I guess, of the Labor Party, 1998, if I'm correct. Yeah, I was elected 20 years ago this year. Tanya, what's changed? Well, when I was first elected... um, (laughs) <laughs> there were a few of us elected, a few women elected in the same year as me, Julia Gillard, Nicola Roxon, Kirsten Livermore, Michelle O'Byrne. And it really changed the kind of character of Parliament House because I had worked down there before as a staffer. It was a very male environment and seeing this wave of younger women elected did really change the vibe of the place. A lot of the blokes found it a little bit confronting, I think. Anytime they'd see two or three of us clustered talking in the corridor, they'd make a joke about us taking over the place. And if you look, you know, not that much earlier than me, um, my friend Jeanette McHugh uh, was the first woman elected to the federal parliament from the state of New South Wales in the early 80s, when she first started in the old Parliament House, there actually weren't women's toilets in the section that was for the members of Parliament. She had to go out and use the public toilets if she wanted the ladies because they had just never contemplated that women were going to be elected as members of Parliament. They didn't need to build in the facilities for for the ladies. What a crazy concept. Yeah, but it, so it just shows, you know, we take for granted... Um, that progress that's been made, but it, it, it hasn't been made without struggle. And so I think it's important to celebrate where we've got to, but also to acknowledge the people who had to fight hard to, to do it. What do you think the pressures for image are for you? Do you feel like you are expected to look a certain way? There's obviously that image of kind of statesmanship that we expect from our male leaders, which I believe started with Paul Keating in those stunning suits. <laughs> I mean, I had a poster of him on my wall. I lived for it. Um, do you feel there's like people judge you more based on your appearance than on your policies? So I think uh, Julia copped absolutely horrific misogynist abuse, particularly online. Like if you read the Anne Summers article uh, from oh. her lecture about the sort of language that was used um against our Prime Minister because she was a woman and about her gender, uh, I think that's really unprecedented in Australian politics and we absolutely need to reject that because Mm. it's not, you know, Julia's a tough woman. Uh, It wasn't that it was 
you know, made her sad that was the problem. It's that it sends a toxic message about gender equality in this country. Uh, So we have to call that out. Are we judged differently because we're women? By some people, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I I think, you know, it doesn't matter when you look at these um, prominent women in politics, the rules have been uh, different quite often. Like Amanda Vanstone used to absolutely cop it for how she looked, what she wore. There's a lot of policy differences I had with her that I was critical of, but that's not what the discussion was about. It yeah. was it was so much about what she looked like. And there's so many examples in our politics that I do worry sometimes that it turns women off a career in politics or putting themselves out there publicly. That's a problem uh, if it does that. That's why we need to call it out. How do you think we change that? I, I cope just fine because my interest is in getting things done. And as long as we we can form Labor governments and I can do the things that I care about for the people that need help, that's my, you know, that's my focus. That's all that matters to me. I don't I don't care if strangers like me or not, you know, you'd go mad. No, truly, you would go mad if you wanted every stranger that's never met you to like you. Someone else's opinion on you is none of your business. That's what I always say. (laughs) And uh, that's a very good way to think of it. I have yet to see a female politician on the cover of Vogue. And that makes me very, very sad that we can't celebrate our female politicians for that as well. Like it seems to be, you know, oh, it's great that, I don't know, Tony Abbotson and Ermenigio Zenia suit or Barnaby Joyce has gotten a Cuba hat on, but yet I don't get to celebrate when uh, Julia Gillard was wearing a Carla Zampatti jacket and she was an Australian designer and she's stimulating our economy and it's it's a very exciting moment. I want to know why we force you to be so serious like there's uh, and that 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 worries me because if I was a young girl who was thinking hey I'm going to get into politics I would not want to sacrifice all the fun because like you do get to go to events you do get to go to parties you do get to go to those things and I I don't like that we seem to chastise our female politicians if they do dress up if they do want to look you know how they want to look like it's very uh it's a conversation that I think is never been had like well, I think the, the, the problem is, or the difference is, the problem is that if a woman does express an interest in fashion, um, like I remember uh, Natasha Stott Despoja talking about wearing Doc Martens, it, it becomes a, a sort of everything about her, like everything mm. you know about her. Yeah. Um, obviously, Julie Bishop's very into her fashion and promoting Australian fashion as well. And... I think the the danger for women is that that becomes your whole personality. People don't look beyond that. Whereas nobody was saying Paul Keating's wearing beautiful suits, that means he's an airhead. Well, in those days it was actually used, you know, the, the Conservatives tried to use it against him, which is sort of ironic, isn't it? They, they're happy to spend lots of money on their own clothes, but if we've got a Prime Minister that wears a nice suit, that's a Labor Prime Minister, it's a big problem. Yeah. So I think she should be in overalls. Yeah, she'd be in overalls that's right. Dirt, yeah. But you know, the the truth is, for me, I I detest shopping, and I would if I could wear overalls to work, I would. Uh, I just buy things that fit in several colours and rotates through them. That's 
I'm sorry to disappoint you. No, no. I, I think a really clear example of that whole sort of um, idea that you're talking about, though, is on an international level, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. During the whole presidential campaign, all anyone was talking about was her pantsuits, pants yeah. which is absolutely ridiculous. Like, she yeah, her incredible health like, care reform. Giant yeah. Oompa Loompas stalking her on the stage and they're like, but she's in a blue pantsuit. Like, yeah. okay. So how important do you think image is in the political landscape? How, do you, is it something that you think about a lot? Do you, is it is it a conscious? No, I don't. I, look, I think um, there's a problem if you're thinking about it too much because uh, I don't know how it happens, I don't know why it happens, but people's sense are fake. Mm-hmm. And I think the the best way to convince people you're not a phony is to not be a phony. The great conversation here is, you know, we have a podcast that's completely about image, but I am solely invested in a bunch of people who <laughs> have not thought about it and now have the best yeah, image, in my be, opinion. Be, like, stags on the planet. <laughs> yes, yes I love that. I love <laughs> Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Imagine it. Dark stage. Lights come up. Offred is standing in the middle of the stage. I made it through the wilderness. Somehow I made it through. Genius. Handmaid's Tale musical. Oh my God, jukebox musical. It's like when I watched Working Girl for the first time and I was like, why is no one singing? Why is no one dancing? It's the same feeling I get when I watch... Handmaid's Tale. Why is no one singing? Why is no one dancing? Well, the whole point of a musical is the fact that the emotions get to such a strong point where you can no longer say it. You need to sing it. And I feel like Handmaid's Tale has a lot of emotions. <laughs> the Lord gave Serena those legs. She better high kick them. It's called jazz hands offered, not wet napkin hands. Come on. <laughs> oh, oh, except that girl who's got her hand cut off for reading. Yeah. That would be sad. I guess she'd just shake a nub. You can't say that. She's a character with a nub. What's a song that the characters of um, Handmaid's Tale, the musical, would get? Alfred, I think, is obviously like a virgin. I would like to see... I would like to see Mrs. Waterford sing (laughs) Rich Girl by Gwen Stefani or alternatively Fergalicious, I think. Um, Interesting choices. Well, she's staying vicious. She's been up in the new regime working on her fitness. And when Alfred's, like, thinking about her husband... Because your kiss, your kiss is on my list. I want the girl, the new girl that lives above the garage with the boy. The child bride. Yeah. I want when they first get married, I want her to be like, if he makes you feel like a million dollar bill. What's another good wedding song? Hopelessly Devoted. (laughs) I believe in you. Hopelessly Devoted is the absolute song for her. How do we work a Donna Summer song into this? Oh. I guess when they're training the handmaids, they could sing hot stuff. Or when, like... Love to love you, baby. That's exactly what I was going to say. Get out of my head. (laughs) That would be great. What would be a song for, like, when they're out in the... You know where they have to dig up the toxic waste? Oh, Britney Spears' Toxic Duh. Also, when they have to stone that girl to death, they could sing I Love Rock and Roll. When all the girls are at the fruit store doing some shopping and they know that it's that time of the month, they can, waiting for tonight. (laughs) (laughs) When you will be here in my arms. Oh, you know her friend that escapes to Canada? She can sing Bad Out of Hell. (laughs) (laughs) Like as she crosses the border. Let's all go to Canada, because Canada is safe. We've finished the show, so I suppose you need to call your dad. Well, I mean, we just talked to Tanya Plibersek, and I think that I could be a politician. (laughs) You have too many nude pics to be a politician, but call your dad. I think that that would actually almost be a good thing, because they're already out there. 
Hi, thanks for calling. Leave a message and I'll get right back to you. Bye. Hi, Dad. Um, this is the voice that I'm now using because I'm going to a career politics. I talked to Tanya Plibersek and I found her very inspiring. And I am now a politician. She was teaching us all about sort of aesthetics and the Labour Party and how we view politicians. And it's it's really sometimes quite unacceptable how we treat certain people. Um, she also actually agreed that um, you should chuck out your red converse. So they're putting that into law that um, both parties are coming together for that one. So, yeah, <laughs> give me a call back. Bye. Radical Fashionism was presented by Christian Wilkins and Andy Kelly, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Alex Mitchell, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search Radical Fashionism on Apple Podcasts.